this is now a second rebuild I've covered with the Cubs. And both times, with two different managers, in St. Louis, I remember in their office, they both said the same thing. We have to learn how to overcome and beat the Cardinals. That's how we learn to get to the next level. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week at Wrigley Field from a guy who's headed to St. Louis for the weekend to work for ESPN uh, for the Cardinals-Braves night. That's Jesse Rogers, baseball reporter for ESPN. Do I have that right? Are you going to be part of the broadcast then on Sunday? I'll be part of the pregame show for sure, baseball tonight before the game starts at 5, and then we have the game at 6, but... Um, uh, looking forward to it because I haven't seen a lot of playoff caliber baseball at Wrigley Field this year. Braves, Cardinals, who knows, could be a playoff series down the road. So I'm looking forward to this weekend. When you saw the schedule that came out this past week, what stood out to you? Is it the fewer division games, and how do you kind of feel about that? Yeah, that's a good question. What stood out to me certainly is the fewer division games combined with this new tiebreaker system that I still don't think I'll use Craig Council, manager of the Brewers line. I still don't think people realize what's going on. They're going to wake up to something in mid-September here in a lot of cities and realize, oh, wait a minute, we lost our season series against X wildcard contender back in May, as the Brewers did to the Padres. We might be out of the playoffs. Now, same thing is within the division, right? 19 tries right now to to uh, you know, get a better head-to-head record against a division rival. Next year, it's going to be 13 tries. And I just have this feeling that teams, as we get used to this new tiebreaker system, are going to put even more emphasis on division games to win season series. Nobody wants to get knocked out of the playoffs because they lost a head-to-head season series. And it's going to happen, whether it be this year or in the near future. So, yes, the, the more balanced schedule stood out to me for that reason. That's interesting. So do you think that because there are fewer division games, it might heighten division rivalries? Because usually it's the other way around. Like, play them more often, bang your heads against each other, get tired of each other, have a series every month so that you have to see them, you know, um, so that you play them after the trade deadline almost as much as before the trade deadline. All those reasons that, like, you have these more series to create um, – sometimes destination series, right? Especially in the Cubs-Cardinals case or Brewers-Cubs where you give the fans more of a chance to see those rivalry teams. But you're, I think you're kind of suggesting that by reducing the number of games, you might heighten the rivalries. Yeah, that's with or without the new tiebreaker system, right? And, and, and so, uh, yeah, because we always talk about two-game swings. So if there's just 13 tries... Um, I think it's going to be heightened, but especially because you want to win that series, you know, at least seven wins, six losses, right? Because if you tie at the end of the year, you're going to be knocked out if you don't have that head-to-head tiebreaker. Um, So, yes, I do think it's going to heighten. Oh, yeah, yes, absolutely, even without the tiebreaker, because if you only have a couple – Chances, let's say, as a fan to see the Cardinals at Wrigley or to see the Cubs down at, in St. Louis, you're going to make sure you're there. So I, I do think it heightens the, the division rivals when it's down to 13 games. That's interesting. I, I kind of worry that we're on a treadmill to eliminate the divisions like that i think that you know maybe expansion does it or something you know something else but that by going to the fewer games that we're like we're nearing the edge of the divisions vanishing 
Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I'd say this, and I haven't done it, but work backwards from what makes everybody the most money. And that's what we're going to end up with. So, look, for my money, I, I could see them you know, expanding the postseason even more in to a round robin tournament. Well, it's Boris has talked about that using all of September. I mean, I don't know, but if you're thinking about how can we maximize the dollars, all of a sudden there's a, a, a whole realm of possibilities that that aren't the norm. I had one manager tell me, "Look, let's bring the tiebreaker game back in and just reduce the season by like four games, mm-hmm. so we can at least have that calendar." I mean, who cares about four games? But of course. There's a lot of money involved, but but then again, you know, if you can get a best of five in the first round, there's a lot of money there also. Wow. So again, I, you might be right about the treadmill thing, but it, it, it starts with where is the most money? How can we maximize it? The game is evolving. We know this. We have to let go of some of the traditions. We're already doing it. It's going to happen more on the field next year. So, yeah, I think you're right, Derek. We're heading in a different direction than we've ever been in in this sport. One of the things that would drive that is what teams learn about this postseason, where the top two teams, not the three division winners, but the top two teams with records that won the division um, get a bye. And whether or not that's a good thing, a bad thing, and also what all the condensed schedule does. Does it require a team that used to get through with three strong pitchers? Now do you need four to get through a condensed thing? Those two elements, there's a lot of unknowns there because baseball hasn't seen it yet. But I wonder if next year you come out of this and you see, well, that buy is really important because of the condensed schedule that follows, that you go, well, winning the division ain't all that cool, but finishing one or two in the league is. Right. Well, I'd even go a step further. And, you know, what if, and I always like to take the extreme example, what if all four top division winners lose in the first round? Mm. It's possible. However they do lose, however it happens, we're going to go with the knee-jerk, wait a minute, they were off too long. Mm -hmm. Rust. Rust. And so that's going to play. Rust versus rest has always been a thing in baseball. And, okay, maybe all four losing is unrealistic, but three could. You know, it's best of five. Anything can happen. We are going to overreact to whatever happens this postseason because it's the first one. We don't have a sample size. So I think that all that's in play. Is it out of the realm of possibility they tweak things? No, because this is somewhat experimental, especially the rest part. Uh, teams being off a week, boy, that's a that's a risky proposition. You know, unless, if you make it best of seven, at least if they're rusty for a game, they can always catch up. Best of five, man, you can't be rusty very long. You got to get right back on that horse. You're based here in Chicago, but you travel a lot around, um, particularly around the Central Division. What do you make of the future of this? Division. I mean, it, the two teams have separated themselves this year. The Cardinals are actually in a position where they can separate themselves even more from the Brewers in the coming weeks and, and into the division title, but not be in that same echelon as the Mets, Braves, and Dodgers. Where is this division going? I mean, is it taking every ounce of creativity and financial you know, wherewithal the Brewers have to keep up? Can the Cubs... Do the Reds hang on this like really strong group of prospects coming? Does Pittsburgh, I don't know, volunteer to go to the American League Central for a chance? I don't. I don't what's yeah. the future kind of hold? I, 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 from my from my perspective, I think the vision is is going to look pretty similar, except the Cubs are going to get back to spending a little bit and being a player in it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. 
I don't see Pittsburgh changing its stripes unless it changes its ownership. I'm not, I would probably say the same thing about Cincinnati. Now, they've had some moments of, of contending, but so has Pittsburgh in the last decade, and, and they've been fleeting. Um, I think you're right about Milwaukee. They're very adept at, at, at being able to compete while keeping that payroll at a very minimum. I don't know how long that can continue. Stearns is really good at it. Council is really good at his job. Um, I, I think what we've seen over the last decade is kind of what this division is, minus a second rebuild by the Cubs. But they're moving pretty quickly through there, as it feels like. I'd be pretty surprised if they don't add this offseason and get back to at least respectability, get back to wild card contention, and move from there. Um, they've, they've come a long way in one year. The Cubs. Really? Yeah. Tell, tell me more. I think they have. I, if, you, if you talk to scouts about Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, Christopher Morrell, even Ian Happ's emergence, um, Seiya Suzuki, who's slowed down a little bit, none of them think it's fleeting. Now, none of them are predicting stardom. Uh, Theo Epstein's famous phrase is, progress isn't linear, one step forward, sometimes followed by one right. step back. But none of those scouts say, well, look, his exit velocity, Christopher Morrell's launch angle or exit velocity really isn't telling you the full story here or it's 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 fleeting right now because they have nothing to play for you from a year ago to today you could probably identify six or seven core players that you couldn't uh, 12 months ago now none of them are mvp caliber or cy young caliber they they're gonna have to add in a big way in free agency which you know every team is a little, gets a little nervous about so, yeah, I, I do think they can move quickly through a rebuild. They're showing it even in the second half. The way they've turned over their pitching infrastructure is quite amazing. They had nothing going in the in, in last decade, basically, developing pitching, and now all of a sudden they're doing it. Other executives have commented to me how well they've developed relievers, for example, and they traded four of them this, this year for, and, and a bunch last year as well. So I, I do think the arrow is pointing up for the Cubs, and I would not have said that necessarily 12 months ago. How much of that is Dan Kantrovitz, too, being part of the draft? The guy who um, ran some of the Cardinals drafts earlier when they were kind of accumulating some of the pitchers like a Marco Gonzalez and a Michael Walker, and now he's gone really pitching heavy with the Cubs as the guy who's run the draft the last few years. I think Dan has a big part of it, but there, I think it's equal parts him. Craig Breslow is the director of pitching, who came in a few years ago. Tommy Hadovy now is established. I think it's the whole infrastructure. I can't point to one guy because, remember, Kasherwitz is drafting. He's not developing. Right. And that and that was their problem last decade. I mean, it was probably equal drafting and developing, but it was definitely developing. So I think it's equal parts. And then throw in Carter Hawkins, the new GM, who came from a very rich pitching organization, the Cleveland Guardians. They've just overhauled their processes and been able to develop a lot more. But I think I think Kasherowitz has absolutely a hand in it. Um, the Cubs drafting in the late last decade, late last decade, wasn't very good. It wasn't very good. So it's equal parts all of that. I mean, to be honest, the Cubs were Houston making a better choice away from not even having Chris Bryant. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. think anybody – I think a lot of folks were surprised by that, that Bryant wasn't the first pick even then. So it's not real, like, hindsight forecasting. Obviously, Mark Appel – got to the majors eventually but not with Houston all of that went on but um, I think yeah you're right some of it was fortune as much as um, planning especially their top picks that I, I, I mean you can miss on top picks but it was hard to miss on Chris Bryant Kyle Schwarber wasn't as highly touted as 
a lot of people thought so. Theo made a good pick. Yeah, yeah it was a good pick at number four. Bias, Javi Bias. Yeah, right, pick. and that was the last regime before that. But anyway, it was still oh, great point. Yeah, so Jim Hendry picked him. Um, it's their later rounds, you know, where the Cardinals have had success developing. The Cubs really didn't. Now they traded a few of them to keep their contention window of contention open. But look, the Astros have had a window that stayed open. The Dodgers have had a window that stayed open. The Yankees' window closed for just a half season and came back open. So the Cubs were, you know, one year. Look, if you're a season ticket holder, you're paying some prices to see some bad baseball. But if it's only one year, I think most fan bases can understand a reset, um, even in a big market. I kind of get it. You know, Cardinals don't do it, and I think the Cubs admire that, and Cub fans admire that begrudgingly. But um, I think the division is going to get back to the Cubs and Cardinals in the near future. To do that, what moves do the Cubs have to spend on in the offseason? Does it start with the catcher? No, not necessarily. I mean, Jan Gomes is signed for another year. Remember, most teams don't have great hitting catchers, so and he's been okay at the plate, but he's certainly good enough behind it. So they can let Contreras go and yeah. still continue the rebuild? I think so. I think so. I think they're planning on it. Um, look, if they want to contend, it'd be great to find a number one pitcher, move Stroman down one, Steele and Thompson, young guys, and even Hendricks at the back end. That'd be great. I don't know if they can do that. They need to add left-handed power. That doesn't grow on trees. Um, they could probably add a shortstop and move Nico Horner to second and be a go-glove second baseman, especially without the shift, get some athleticism there. I mean, like, in a perfect world, reasonably perfect world, Trey Turner would be at short, Horner would be at second. You find a left-handed power hitter, either via trade or free agency, again, being reasonable, that's two big additions, shortstop and a left-handed power hitter. <laughs> and a number one pitcher. Is that too much, Derek? I mean, that's, but that's the, see, that's the thing. Is that five hundred million in spending? I know. They don't have high end ready to go talent. So they're they're still a year away from figuring out all of that. Mm-hmm. But maybe you could add one of those things and start challenging for a wild card. I mean, Ken, is the development around Wrigley Field, the sports book that's going up outside the manager's office on the visitor's side. I mean, as some of the stuff that's happening around here, is that going to start spilling over into their spending? Is that kind of what you're describing? I think so. It hasn't quite yet done that, but I that might be as much choice as anything, meaning I think Jed you know, read the tea leaves and look, our, our veterans are going to move on Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, and we don't have a firm system that's ready. We didn't develop last decade, as I mentioned, so we're going to have to have that reset. So here's the point. I do think the money is going to be there. I do think – in fact, they didn't even spend all all of their budget in 22. So, yes, I think the money is going to be there, but not foolishly. Like, look at the Rangers. They spent $500 and where are they? So – I think it's going to be tactical. It might be a little bit this offseason, a little bit more next offseason. So I do think they can challenge for a wild card next year. It's not that hard to challenge for a wild card when you have three of them. But you got to be in that close to 80-win territory. Maybe I'm being a little bit more – having a little bit more faith. Um, but, man, I, what they've done on the mound especially has really opened my eyes. That's that's the question that they'll have to face is if they spend $500 million, does that get them to 95 wins to win the division, or does it just get them to 88 and win 84 will do to get the wild card? I mean, that's that's the question that they'll have to calculate: is is it done in stages? Like, and and if and is the free agent class the right class to do this? Right, all those are good questions. The part I probably could answer is it it will be done in stages. 
they, they're not going to finish this rebuild off this offseason. Okay. But again, you don't have to be complete as a team to challenge in the 80 win depart, 82 win department. Right. Um, and maybe even for this division, if, it, if it's another sort of mediocre year, or, you know, how the centrals are ALN and L, it is, you can win it with 88 wins sometimes. So, yeah, it's not going to happen in one offseason. But I, I do think within the next two, they're going to be closer to a fully formed team like they were last decade. What was the perception here or as you traveled around of the Cardinals in the first half? Were they seen as an underachieving team? Were they seen as uh, a team that was finding its legs? Or was it, were they seen as just a team that you know, would contend but not control? Yeah, I, we talked about this in March or February during the lockout. I thought they were, they were even watching them in the first half, I thought they were a sleeping giant. I really did. Um, I, I, again, you know, like you know, the pitching, yes, they had the injuries. I mean, in March we were talking about Flaherty coming, right, being yeah. the, and it what didn't happen. So, but look, it, not every season is going to go perfect. Last year didn't. You made the playoffs. This year, whether the Cubs completely out of it right away, you really only had one team to beat, not you, but them. The Cardinals only had one team to beat, Milwaukee. Um, I always thought their sleeping giant would would get there. Um, again, I don't mind a slow start. Like it's a one, it's one sixty two. You're going to have your dips. Um, I always respect that they were doing, and and you just knew they would do something at the deadline. They they looked dead in the water last year, and they did something at the deadline. They they looked a lot better this year than last year, and they did even more than something picking up Montgomery and Quintana. So I never let's just say, put it this way: I never worried about the the Cardinals. I think in Chicago, people knew they were going to be right there at the top with Milwaukee. And, they are. Is that kind of the sense too when you go to like the other clubhouses and stuff? Like whether you're up in Milwaukee or, or you know, I don't, I don't know how much the White Sox are with the Tony tie or thinking or looking at right. the Cardinals or chat about it. No, Milwaukee for sure. Yeah. They always like were like, yeah. And when they made those moves at the deadline, while Milwaukee was trading Josh Hader, it was like, oh man, here we here we got to do this again on a on a thin payroll and everything. And they're they're probably gonna they, they might come up completely short in Milwaukee. You know, not even making the wild card so at least in milwaukee i, I feel like I, I i didn't talk to the reds about the cardinals no, for example you know at least in milwaukee it was like oh boy rear things in the rearview mirror is it closer or further wait a minute closer closer than right then they, they appear right so I, I think milwaukee felt that about the cardinals the whole way the uh, the trade deadline was interesting because like you said the the brewers moved hater and the Cardinals acquired Montgomery and Quintana and Stratton and also uh, Jojo Romero, who is a lefty um, that recently was promoted. So they got all those pieces. They rebuilt kind of the pitching staff on the go, which they've done in previous years. It just had been a long time since they had a significant trade deadline like this. But a year ago, the Brewers said we need a shortstop, moved fast, and probably seized the division by getting Willie Adonis early while the Cardinals slow played and didn't get the the pitching they needed until the deadline so that it seems like this is the reverse of that that the that the cardinals made the deal um that is going to boost them and is it possible the brewers made a deal that made them worse is that how it feels um it might feel that way i don't know if the brewers actually made a deal that makes them worse i just think the brewers are kind of an okay team mm. and Josh Hader was struggling anyway. Right. He was struggling. He's struggling in San Diego. Now you could talk about the vibe in there trading a guy like that. I just think that Milwaukee, and I love what Craig Council and David Stearns have done. I just didn't love going into the season. In fact, I was even surprised by what Rowdy Tellez has done. So yeah. even with that performance, I just thought they were an okay team. But back to St. Louis, like 
I don't think there's any doubt last year <laughs> the moves they made indicated what they thought about their team. They did not believe this was much of a playoff team, but they weren't going to give up on the year completely. Yeah, they needed bodies. I mean, John Lester and J.A. Happ, no offense to them, they were bodies. Oh, they needed innings. They, they needed, needed somebody innings. to give them innings. And they probably pitched better than just bodies, right? They yeah. did. Um, this year, Wainwright, Molina, Pulos, you better not be punting this season, right? Mm-hmm. And they didn't. I mean, the, ma- the fact that they got Jordan Montgomery is amazing to me. A left-handed starter who's been through the wars in New York, I mean, come on. I saw him the other night here. My God, he was good. Solid play. You know, okay, they didn't get Montas, who was bad, and the, and uh, they didn't get Luis Castillo. Okay, that's in division. You're going to have to pay a heavy tax for that. But they got pretty damn good. And I'm not a huge Quintana guy, uh, especially down the stretch. Like, keep an eye on that pennant race, you know, performance. But Montgomery, I liked. Um, so... I think it told you everything you need to know about them, the deals they made this year compared to last year. I wanted to ask you about Quintana since you brought it up. You, you, he was here with the Cubs. The Cubs paid a high price. You talk about not being able to develop. I mean, the cease is pretty good. Um, he came out of the Cubs organization, now is a superstar or a, a budding ace, I guess, for the White Sox. Uh, Eloy Menez, also part of that deal. Did the Cubs get what they expected from Quintana or, or no? No. No, they didn't because – he never pitched as well with the Cubs as he did with the White Sox. So let's just start with that. Now, when you acquire a guy, you're always licking your chops, rubbing your hands together because you think you could get even more. Mm-hmm. And they did. They thought they could, just their game planning with Quintana, they thought they could get a little bit more um, using his stuff differently. Is kind of a long story there. And from the get-go, they got even less. And... I, I think some of it had to do with pitching in, in perennial pennant races. You know, I just feel like it got to him a little bit. Um, here's the difference, though. He was traded for two highly touted players. May have been in his head. I can't confirm that type of thing. But with you guys, maybe a little different, right? He's certainly not coming in as the savior. Um, it's, he's towards the end of his career. It's just a little different vibe. So maybe his performance will be different. But I don't know how else to say it, but he kind of wilted. He kind of wilted under the pressure of, of being with a pennant contending team. And um, I don't know if that's going to happen again or not, but I'll just tell you that's what happened here. That's kind of the overlooked reality of St. Louis that, like, you know, players who become Cardinals who weren't before. Maybe Montgomery's going through this a little bit. He was a Yankee, and now he's a Cardinal. And he's like, okay, well, now I'm in, uh, in St. Louis, you know, whatever smaller medium market, if you're beat riders around, everything like that. Yeah, we'll lose. Like, lose a game and find out the reaction to, like, or, or have the team win, but don't give them innings and face the questions about, like, you know, well, are you going to be good enough to win in October? I mean, that's the pressure that awaits Quintana. I mean, that's everything is seen through the lens of how does this game get you closer to October? How does this performance make you better for October? I mean, that's the pre- that's that's what it is in St. Louis. That, yeah. That's what it means to play there. Totally. Um, I think in a perfect world, Cantana's probably not starting a playoff game. No, they would prefer to have Montgomery, Wainwright, Michaelis, Flaherty. And, and, and so here, here I feel like. Flaherty is on his way back. Right. So you have a decent lead now. They do. September's around the corner. Cantana can hide a little bit, if that's the right word. Um, 
I don't, I don't think in the next month he's going to be the reason you blow the division, right? Probably not going to get a playoff start. So it's different situations when you come over for Elo Jimenez and Dylan Cease right, right. as opposed to, to, to what – And to be the lead lefty, right? Or no, the second lefty, second but, lefty. but like, a, like a two or three guy. Right at the time, this is 17, the Cubs were struggling. And he actually performed okay. Look, I don't want to make it sound like he was a complete disaster. Right. He performed okay. Actually, in 17, maybe more than 18 and 19. But, but he just didn't live up to expectations. And so, you know, I think the expectations here are probably a little different. Yeah. What, when you said that the Cardinals were a, a sleeping giant, was that relative to the division? Or do you think they have it in them to measure up against the National League Titans? Yeah, mostly to the division. But I got to put myself back to April, March, May, whatever, early before the Dodgers were the Dodgers, even the Mets were the Mets even though we knew they'd be good teams. I like St. Louis. I mean, how many teams have five gold glove winners? Okay, before Flaherty got hurt, a, a, a real one through five that looked pretty good. Um, MVP caliber players at first and third base. Uh, a, a great reason to try to win with three guys retiring. Like, I mean, that again, that doesn't always translate on the field, but... Yeah. Do I think they can beat the Dodgers or Mets in a five-game series? Absolutely. Is it even tougher in a seven-game series, especially the Dodgers? Absolutely. But not out of the realm of possibility. What has the retirement tour been like to watch from afar, especially as the Pujols experience yeah. comes to Wrigley? Yeah, I mean, Molina and Wainwright have taken a back seat. You know, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's Pujols. And even before August 1st, you know, whenever the All-Star break, it, it felt last time they were in town, you know, I was talking to Ye- you know, Juan Yepes about Pujols. It was just, he's such a presence, you know, and... I didn't cover him the first time around. I didn't cover him in, with the Angels, but I've been in that locker room now a bunch, and he is a presence. He's huge, you know, and he, he, he has such authority, um, I feel like, and, and, and for a lot of reasons. You know, now maybe even being a part-time player, he has more time to, to interact with people, where Molina is, is trying to get himself ready when he's here, when he's with the team. Um, so it, it's been quite something. The pitch he hit the other night, I mean, like Wainwright said to, said to me, like most guys don't even attempt to swing at it, and and I, you know, just talking to Drew Smiley about it, it's just like the moment it left my hand, I'm thinking, okay, it's just up there, it's all in hand, all right, yeah. You know how pitchers know instantly whether it's going to be swung out, yeah. swung at, where it's going to go, and it's just like the bat speed on that. Now, Smiley did tell me, and he, you know, he, he's cheating a little bit. But he's hitting all, all of it. You know what I'm saying? He's hitting the curveball down. He's hitting the high fastball. He's cheating a little bit to pull the pitch is what Smiley said. But usually when you cheat, you're giving something up somewhere. And right now, or at least until now, he hasn't been giving that up. This is Smiley talking. Mm-hmm. So he, it, maybe he is trying to get to 700. I don't know. Um, but he's, 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 not, he's not giving up anything in trying to pull the ball as much as he is. It's been amazing. Yeah, the, the, the 10 games that ended with that, and just one of the more remarkable, he was slugging 1,200, slugging 1,200. And it was the best 10-game stretch of his career. That, that to me, that was mind-boggling. Um, him passing Stan Musial for the total bases on this road trip and going into second place all time, that is just such a paradigm shift in the game for me. And when you, when you talk about, when you talk to great players going through great stretches, they're boring. You got <laughs> to talk to their teammates. 
right? The wide-eyed look when he swung at that pitch. That's what I liked on the replay, looking in the dugout and seeing Wainwright, seeing the other, other players, talking to Nolan Gorman about it. Here's a guy just in the league, and he's this legend just swung at a pitch. Gorman would never think of swinging at. If he did, he'd be back in the minors, right? you, you got to talk to teammates and even the opposition when great players are going through great stretches because, first of all, they don't want to jinx themselves. Second of all, they don't want to talk about themselves just because it, it just doesn't feel right. Um, and third of all, they just want to keep working, keep working, keep working, uh, and keep it going because they know it won't last. So um, retirement tour is one thing, but producing while you're in a retirement tour, that's quite something. Yeah, that was one of the things that Ryan Dempster said. He said the ribbon on the gift that Albert Pools is giving everybody is that he's doing it in a Cardinal uniform. And he, and he said also, you just know he's going to get to 700 because doesn't baseball always provide the magic? Where, where did Drew Smiley fall on the – on the place of being in history as far as 449. I mean, it's like this is something that pitchers wrestle with. Like, I'm part of a cool moment. Oh, man, no, I'm the brunt of a cool moment. Most are going to feel cool about being in that moment. They're going to be okay with that. Now, if this is game 162 for the pennant story, he was totally fine with it, especially because he threw a a good pitch in his mind. He's trying to change the eye level. Totally fine with being 449. And if Fran Mill Reyes could have been 450, really would have put a a ribbon on everything. Did Reyes talk? Did you get a chance to? I didn't get a chance. No, I didn't get a chance. He is like, if I remember this correctly, he's a huge, a lot of people are huge Albert Pujols fans, but he's a significant Albert Pujols fan, like like lobbied to, to try to meet him. Right, and and, and probably was thrilled to face him, but I didn't get a chance to talk to him, and then he hits him. Yeah. Um, so baseball doesn't always live up to the moment <laughs> you want. Because that would have been cool if, if he breaks the record for most different pitches hit home runs off of, and it's a position player. He's the guy who started the day as a DH in 2022 when the DH right. comes to wasn't the even, National League. He wasn't even on the Cubs two weeks ago. Right. So, um, yeah, I, 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 Smiley was totally fine with it. What so you've said three? Are you you're thinking that Wainwright is just not getting the ceremony, but he's gonna he's gonna drift into the broadcast booth? You know, I, I should probably take 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 that back and say two and a half. I, I, I and I I told you this off 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 mic or off air. I talked to Verlander last week, and he is just even with the elimination of shift, they the data they have. The technology that, that has enabled pitchers to dominate, even at an older age, maybe Wainwright feels the same way and doesn't walk away. I mean, Verlander's mm-hmm. upfront about it. They're going to have to rip this jersey off. But I also think the subtext is, unless something changes and these hitters have some great, like, I don't know, steroids return, you know, juice balls return. But right now, pitchers have such an advantage. I, I'm, I'm one of these that think the elimination of the shift is going to have a bigger effect than most people think. So I hope it doesn't happen. Well, I'm, I'm, it makes no sense for me. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, whole, but it makes no sense. I'm okay me. with it. That's a whole other podcast. I, I think, you know, maybe Verlander will change his tune by June of next year. So, Wainwright seems so definitive at the end of last year to me. Maybe not to you, Derek. You covered him, obviously, much more closely than I have. He certainly has left it open all year, claiming I don't want to make a decision and then go back on it like, like a lot of guys do. He always told me he doesn't want to be the Tom Brady. Okay. You know, I don't want to be the Tom right. Brady in Major League Baseball. But, 
but that's, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Tom Brady's having success. No, his point was that I retire, oh, come back, back, retire, right, come back, retire, right, come back. Right. I think I'm going to leave. Then I yeah. tweet out I'm not going to leave, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm... The reason why, just quick aside, the reason why he doesn't want to do that, I mean, he's being kind of flip about it, but the reason why is he doesn't want to tell his daughters and son I'm retiring and then August go, man, this is so much fun. I don't want to leave. He, he doesn't want to send... He talks about, like, I don't want to send the message to the fans. He, he also doesn't want to send that message to his family. That, like when, And that's part of why he hasn't made the decision yet, is he was like, I'm going to talk with my wife, and I'm going to talk with my daughter. His daughter's a sophomore in high school. He's been very clear that he does not want to lose the entire high school experience for his older daughters um, by playing baseball. So he wants to talk with them, make a decision, let them know his decision, or they come to it as a group, and then stick to it. Yeah, I will say this. Until I talked to Verlander, I thought he was done. I just get the sense um, that he was done. But again, you do see pitchers dominate at an older age, and why not squeeze another 8 to $10 million out of it and maybe another playoff run? I mean, I, look, I can't get inside his head, but I, I, I felt since last offseason he was done. But that could change. All right, so the Cubs are coming, you say. It might be another year. It might be another, another year. Um, and Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina, at the least, are going. What does this rivalry look like here? What, what kind of hole is being left if Molina's not in it, if Pujols isn't in it, but if the Cubs are better? I mean, is this... Are we going into a new era of Cubs cards? I mean, yes, only because of personnel, though. I don't think it changes much, um, to be honest. It's it's still the Redbirds. It's you not going to be lacking something because no, Molina's not there? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I really don't. Um, it needs to be like it was late last decade. You know, both teams good and fighting and... Or mid last decade, I guess, when 15, the Cubs kind of... It's funny. I'll tell you a quick story. This is now a second rebuild I've covered with the Cubs. And both times, with two different managers, in St. Louis, I remember in their office, they both said the same thing. We have to learn how to overcome and beat the Cardinals. That's how we learn to get to the next level. Joe Madden said it last decade in like 15, 14, 15. I remember it, yeah. Yes. And then David Ross said it this year. The Cardinals are the standard bearer. We have to overcome. We have to become them. Whatever it is. And it's funny to hear that again. So I think the rivalry will be fine. Yeah, 13 games instead of 19 it doesn't provide more, more more times to retaliate and things like that, but it does heighten the games, like we said earlier, because you don't have many times to, to beat that, those teams in your division. And so I, I don't think it changes much. I really don't. That's Jesse Rogers of ESPN, baseball reporter there. He'll be part of the Sunday night telecast, Baseball Tonight, all of it from St. Louis as the Braves, one of the most impressive teams I've seen this season. Really, actually, the team that played the best that I've seen this season. Go against the Cardinals, who are playing very well now. Jesse, it'll be great to have you in St. Louis, where you get to visit every so often. Thank you very much for the time, man. Derek, good to be with the best beat writer in the business. Thanks, pal. I'll have to edit that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. addition here as I wait for my flight at O'Hare, so excuse the background noise. You can find Jesse Rogers on Twitter at Jesse Rogers ESPN. Jesse Rogers 
ESPN. You can see him, of course, in the Sunday Night Baseball coverage there on Baseball Tonight on ESPN as the Cardinals host the Braves. You can find all the constant Cardinals coverage, including the seven-day, eight-game road trip coverage and all the milestones that happened at stltoday.com. You can find the best podcast in baseball anywhere you find your podcast. Please rate and review it. Subscribe. Do the whole thing there at iTunes. Best Podcast in Baseball is brought to you weekly by Closets by Design of St. Louis, and it's a production of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Stay informed, stay healthy, stay tuned. Talk to you soon.